Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast. I think we have an amazing, amazing guest today. And I, what I think is going to be fascinating to really hear her story is the combination of grief, trauma, but anxiety and depression as well. Yes. Um, and a lot of people don't think about, well, we barely think about mental illness anyway, but what we don't really think about is a lot of times the marriage between the symptoms of depression and symptoms of anxiety. I usually will tell people that a lot of times, and in my clinic anyhow, we don't really see a pure a pure depression. So depression as in um, the sadness, the social withdrawal, the, um, the, the decrease in, in your interest in previously enjoyed activities, the, uh, the difficulty with sleep and appetite. Those are a lot of the symptoms in terms of depression. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we don't also look at how what in in clinical terms we call it comorbidity and the comorbidity with anxious symptoms so the increased worry irritability frustration sometimes lack it, of sleep, a lack of sleep um racing thoughts um you know so a lot of these other symptoms that are typically with anxiety or anxiety disorders a lot of times also present in combination with depression so Sometimes it makes it also difficult to treat, but at the same time, what we do have to understand is is that a lot of these uh, these symptoms uh, coexist. Yes, and also with grieving too. Um, I personally used to think that grieving there's a certain time to grieve, yes. and I didn't even know that you can also grieve not just a loved one. You could grieve a relationship. You could grieve a uh, loss of a job. There's different forms of grieving and that grieving isn't linear. The healing yes. process for it isn't linear. It's, it's not like one, two, three, four, five. There's different steps. There's times when you regress. There's when times when you're probably at nine and you go back to one. And that it's really just a continuous, it's a continuous journey of growth. So that's something new to me that I that I learned over the past couple of years, a couple yeah. of years ago. I think that's why I think our guest today, uh, Michelle, I think is going to really um, articulate not only her journey, but a lot of these things that we've been talking about today in terms of, you know, grief, the process of grief, but then also, you know, the symptoms of anxiety and depression. So, um, so with Michelle, Michelle has always felt a deep passion in becoming a helper, so much so it persuaded her to obtain her diploma as a social service worker. After obtaining her diploma, she landed two jobs, one working specifically with women and the other working with children and youth. Through her work, Michelle managed to form great relationships while serving the community. This then began her creative idea to begin her own brand called Made Beautiful, and Made Beautiful was created to provide an outlet to discuss and educate women and girls on topics such as self-love and healing, healing after trauma, understanding anxiety, and understanding what abuse looks like, specifically narcissistic abuse. She also volunteers her time as a peer bereavement supporter, mostly supporting victims of homicide. 
Michelle's goal is to show all those who follow or support her, the new and older generation, love. As simple as that may seem, life already hits many of us hard and we don't need to beat up ourselves about it. So Michelle is about spreading love through speaking her truth. So here we have Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you. I would need to thank both of you for having me. Uh, Listen, we're so excited that we have people in the community who are so willing to share their stories because I think this is what is going to really bring all of this stuff into the light because a lot of times people just hide. Right. People right. just people right. just don't want to say anything, you know, just sort of push things aside. And it's people like you that are going to be trailblazers to, you know, get this out in the community and really just change the face of mental illness. So we are just so excited and grateful that you are joining us. So thank you again. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm excited. And uh, anything to do with helping the community, especially on the topic of mental health, I'm all for it. So oh. thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So Michelle, we're gonna get right into it, and and we're gonna okay. and we're gonna ask you to please tell us your story. Sure, sure. Um, and I guess I will just start with I, I have so many, but I mean the one major impact and cause of um, a change in my mental health, I will say, and I'll start with uh, my daughter, my first daughter. Um, her father had passed away due to gun violence in 04, 2004. And at that year, um, the gun violence was really high. So um, they actually called that that year the year of the gun because it was, you know, constant back and forth violence. Um, And I was very young. I had my daughter when I was 20, 21. And um, it was just a little hard for me at that moment, having my daughter, having her so young and then losing her father. Um, it was difficult. You're not getting the answers as well. And, um, even with that case, it was, uh, closed because, uh, they couldn't find any answers. So even that was heartbreaking. Um, and so for me, after the whole, you know, there's like an uproar at first where everybody's like, oh my goodness, uh, poor Michelle, um, her little baby girl, it was on the news, all these things. And, People were coming up by and showing up, but then there comes a point when you've got to deal with it alone. Um, and for me, the nights were the hardest because you're by yourself and you're with your thoughts. Um, and I feel at that time as well, my mom wasn't in the picture. My, my father was not in the picture and my brother was not in the picture. Um, the fact that I had Tiana Young rubbed my family the wrong way. So I was dealing with a lot on my own. Um, so what had happened was me being home alone, sitting and dealing with this so young, I just started shifting, started being dark, dark in my thoughts. Um, and I didn't know at the time about anxiety or depression. I didn't understand that. Uh, so here I am sitting alone, dealing with this. And to be quite honest, the only thing that I felt that gave me the strength to push forward was the fact that my daughter was a baby and I had to keep it moving. But getting myself together and getting myself out there, I, I, I was falling 
deep into a depression. So, you know, you mentioned that you started falling into a, in, into a deep depression and that your thoughts were quite deep. I just wanted yeah. to, to sort of ask you, um, would you be able to specify a little bit in terms of sort of what those thoughts were? Because I think it would be very helpful for even people um, who maybe are going through similar situations just to have an understanding of what type of thoughts you were having or, or sort of, yeah. um, you know, sort of, again, what you were going through. I don't, you don't have to get into grave, grave detail, but just to help, yeah. you know, the listeners understand, you know, what types of thoughts you were having that were sort of causing this spiral downwards. Yes. Um, so I would have a lot of like, I felt alone and I would isolate myself. Um, so in that moment, when I say that my thoughts were like really dark, it was just more of a kind of like feeling like you're, I'm beating myself up, constantly beating myself up, um, wishing and I'd always have this thing that I wish that I could be with Tiana's father. Like, this is so unfair. I wish I was with him. So I would have suicidal thoughts, not knowing that that's what it was. There were times where I was like, you know, like, I just can't do this. I can't do this on my own. And I would be in a better place if I was with him, you know, and um, the darkness was always like, I just felt something as simple as getting myself up and ready to go to like work or a workshop, it was difficult to just get myself up out of bed to, to get it moving. So um, those were the darkness that I didn't know. And I felt like it was just a constant battle in my mind to bring myself to a positive place. If I did pull out and I was positive, it only lasted for a moment. And I had so many people surrounding me. I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of family members that did check in, but I always managed and found a way to isolate myself from them. I found some way and I would sit in that uh, alone. Um, and I would mask it pretty well too. Like I would come outside and you would think everything's okay. I mean, I'm sure there were some people that were like, you know, understood that grief takes time. So they didn't think much of it, but I don't think a lot of people recognize how bad I was because I would mask it so well. But upon returning home, I was right back in that state of battling my own thoughts of negativity um, about myself. I would really be myself up a lot. And that's one of the big things that I didn't even recognize um, in the moment. And I thought those things that I was thinking of myself that were so negative were actually true. It was true to me at that time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think, you know, you know, you've so eloquently described a lot of the symptoms um, of depression, but you know, what you were going through, mm -hmm. what I would love to ask you is, you know, in the midst of all of this, uh, how did you end up addressing uh, your mm -hmm. issues and, and your symptoms? So I actually had two great friends at the time and I always revert back to saying thank you to both of them. Um, I had two great friends that just didn't give up, kept pushing in and coming in and making their present known. And it was them that told me, Michelle, you're battling this. We feel that you are, and we're going to stick with you and help you. And it wasn't until speaking with them that I was aware of it. I was not educated enough um, on depression and anxiety at the time. So 
it was that trust factor that I know they're not here to hurt me and they're going to tell me what's right for me. And um, through that process, they would come consistently and just help me. It would be things like my dishes or uh, sitting with me, watching movies with me and just getting me back on focus. And I remember something as simple as like doing my resume, helping me with that to get back out on my feet, get me going. And I realized, once getting out of my own way and keeping myself busy was one of the transitions. I can't say that it was all like peaches and beautiful flowers. It took some time because there were times that I felt like, okay, I'm moving. I'm back out going to work. This is great. And then something would just hit me and I fell back again. Um, So it was a process, but I have to say it was these two people I thank them so much for their consistency with me and helping me recognize myself. But um, again, yeah, it was them being truthful and honest and not giving up. Thank you, Michelle. Where, okay, where would you say now, um, where are you right now Mm -hmm. in your life? Um, I'll say right now, I've done so much healing. Like I thought, and, um, Jamie, um, sorry, uh, my daughter's father passed away. It's going to be 15 years this year. And yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I only started healing five years ago. That's like really taking time. And, and I realized that with having my daughter, I didn't really have the time because a lot of it was me helping her which is kind of odd because one would say, how could you help someone else when you need help yourself? But somehow I managed to do that. And now I'm at a place because she's so much older now and more independent. I've taken such time to heal myself. And um, I'm such at a good place right now, like with me and who I am and being honest, because with all that I was going through, I built up a fear to be honest with people about what I was experiencing because I was scared to be judged. I was scared that someone would say, I think she's an unfit mother. She's depressed. Let's get CAS involved. It kept my mouth shut. That was one of the major reasons why I kept my mouth shut. I was like, I will not tell anyone. And that was hard because I'm such an honest person and anything to do with bettering myself, I'm going to do it. So, um, It's like, I feel so great right now that I can be at this place where I'm honest. And then in return, it's like, I have two girls. I just feel like with my honesty, my realness and how I'm coping now, it helps them with anything that they encounter or perhaps are dealing with because my oldest one also has anxiety and we can have those conversations now. We can be honest about it and we can talk about how we deal, deal with it and cope with it. So um, I'd have to say it was this five years of doing the work, like really sitting down with myself, going to workshops, um, me having my diploma in social service workers, as a social service worker, sorry, also helped because there's so much information in there that is about me and my family and, and just unraveling on where to begin with your own healing. 
I, I'm, it's so beautiful what you're saying, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people feel that there should be a timeline for grief. Um, you mm -hmm. know, you, you have to just take this certain amount of time to grieve and then move forward. And for mm -hmm. you to say, you know what, I'm grieving and I'm actually grieving and going through the process and healing really myself now in the past five years um, mm -hmm. really is such a testimony to, you know, do not judge somebody's healing process. Everyone's healing process is going to be different at different points in times. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I did feel even too, um, I remember in the past, I knew in my mind I wanted to be better and I want to move forward. But then there were times that I would fall back. And I remember I would call my friend and say, like, I'm trying so hard. Like, I just don't understand why it's not happening quick enough. Because I used to think it it is, like, something that's fast-paced. Like, okay, four years in, you should be better now. That's the biggest mistake that we have today. It's not true. The should statements are huge um, because, yeah. you know, we have these should statements that we believe that they're, they're, they're these certain rules that we believe we have to live by. You know, again, right. we should be healed in, you know, in four years or we should be further along. And when we start to, um, you know put these should statements against ourselves um mm -hmm. we, we use them as like a marker to judge ourselves right exactly and you know and then a lot of times we do we judge ourselves negatively as a result of that so it's i mean you know I appreciate what you're saying. And the other thing I also appreciate you saying is, is that this journey is not a linear journey is what I, is what I usually would say. It's, it's not, yep. it's not just this, you have to progress forward. You know, there's right. going to be times where it's going to be up and down and a couple steps back. And, and, and right. once, and once we're able to embrace that, that the journey mm -hmm. is not a complete forward linear process, we don't hopefully, you know, hold ourselves to this standard, which which is a lot of times not humanly possible. So it's allowing ourselves to embrace that human experience. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you shared that too, Michelle, because I used to think that healing, there was a certain time pattern to time. healing. Like, you know, you, you mm -hmm. should, you should be better. Like, you know, you shouldn't take that long. You, you should get better after, after all. And, when I when I went through my depression too and and my anxiety, which I still live with anxiety, I understand that, yes. like Dr. Natasha said, it's not linear. It's you're gonna have your days when you're gonna regress, you know. And the most important thing about healing is that <clears throat> it is a continuous journey. Mm. Right. You're continuous. So it's just for you to say like it it um was the last five years, and I right. yeah, it's just the last five years, and to see how much you've grown and the fact that you can sit down with your daughter, you can talk about anxiety. Yeah. That is really powerful. Yeah. I, I never knew about anxiety until 2011 or the fact that it even um, it can happen to black people. So it, right. the yes. fact that you can yeah. sit with your with your daughter and in, in Canada, it says what the youngest age that anxiety and depression starts or mental illness is around 14. So the fact right. that your daughter can even open up to you and come and to you. That exactly. That is so, yeah. so, so important. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, um, Stacey, you brought something up as well. Like, I have to say, even with my family, too, it was really hard to hear of mental health issues for anyone. Um, anyone bringing it forward, it would be like something that you would sleep under the rug or it wasn't discussed, you know, or um, there was always that terminology as, you know, my child is not crazy. You know, there was and, and 
you know, we're so misinformed. And I just, I feel like we are doing so much better today um, with understanding it and having these discussions. Which, which is perfect right now because we're just about to ask you how, how do you feel like the black community, our community, how we can moving forward, how we can change the stigma? Yeah, um, definitely. I feel what is so great. Um, my past job working as a child and youth worker, one of the things that we did was having workshops for the youth and children and just giving this information, making them understand that it's okay, it is normal to have a mental health issue and finding coping mechanisms. Um, Because one of the things that the youth have brought up is a lot of households, it is hard to explain to parents, but I find us, especially yourself, Stacey, with what you're doing, the blind stigma and, and educating, you're making it so much easier for people to come forward. And I have to say that because I... I give my daughter so much prayers because at her age, I couldn't even open my mouth to admit that, to even have that conversation. And she, she just stated to me that um, maybe last year or so she was open and honest with her friends and told them and they were like, Oh, okay. And that's cool. And now that we know this, we're not going to, do this or we're going to understand this team we're here with you so i just feel like wow. yeah, yeah i'm so impressed and um i have to say even with the children and youth with where i was working they will be honest and anxiety is a lot for high school students females and males and they're yes. coming forward and expressing that i feel this and i have this that means that i feel we're doing so much better with opening that that floor, opening that door and having the discussions. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed and I'm pretty proud because I know for me, it was not something that was easy for me to talk about. I remember when I was going through um, my depression and I would tell my dad about it because I felt like my dad was the safest space I could go. And mm-hmm. um, when my dad suggested that I tell my business to strangers, his fear was like, if I tell a friend then that friend is going to tell another friend and another friend. And so it's going to somehow reach back home to Jamaica that he was raising a mad daughter. So even then he didn't trust me telling my friends because he didn't feel like my, my secret or my shame, according to him would be safe. And then now it goes back to the parents. And now it looks like as a parent, you didn't do a good job raising your kids. So to yes, see well, young people that are like your daughter can go up and she can tell her friends and they're like, OK, so now we know how to address your issue. That is so progressively important to me. And that is that is so yes. what is the word that is? That is awesome. <laughs> that is <Yes>. Awesome <laughs> yeah, to see yes. the young people like how they are reacting and how they are treating mental illness or like people showing the symptoms of like, say, anxiety, your daughter having anxiety. They can say, OK, so now we know what not to say. And that, that right, is, that is right. so important. Yeah, it, I I couldn't, it, it made me feel so good because like I said, for me, um, I, I held it all in, trying to deal with a lot of it on my own and being secret about it, knowing what I was feeling, but I was like, don't say anything. And to know that we're at this space today and here my daughter is just a prime example, it makes me feel so good. It makes me feel like, okay, we are doing something. If it's not being put out there, let me be the first to say one of the people that I see that it's affecting in a, a, a positive light is my daughter. 
So I'm proud. I'm proud of where we are. I know we still have a lot more work to do. It's not finished. Oh, but no. we're, we're making moves. And that's the most important thing. <laughs> that's um, the thing. Yeah. Michelle, I wanted yeah. to ask you one one more question. Sure. And um, if you were to sum up your journey right now, everything you've been through in your journey right now, um, your journey with healing, everything that you are right now, what one word would you take? Just one word to describe your journey. One word. That's a good question to describe my journey. Yes. Hmm. I would say just, I know this is so basic, but it means so much growth. Yes. Yes. Growth. Yes. There's nothing basic about growth. Not at all. Not (laughs) at all. Nothing. Yeah. Yes. Growth. Thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely important because what that to me when I hear that that symbolizes that you know it's something that is continuous. It's not something that has an end point or an expiration. That it's a continuous thing that so you keep on moving, growing, and and so I think it's such a fitting word um, to describe your journey. So Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you both. This was amazing. I love what you what you all are doing and what this whole goal is for. So thank you so much for having me on board with you. We appreciate having you on board. And Michelle, where where can the audience, should the audience be interested in finding you? Where can they find you on social media? Yes. Um, so actually, I'm on Instagram and it's called Made Beautiful. Now, the beautiful is spelled different. It's B-E-Y-O-U-T-I-F-U-L. And um, that's just my group where I'm working with girls and women and educating them on topics such as this and more. So they can follow me that on that page on Instagram. Okay. And I will be creating websites soon. So all of that's being revamped. So okay, perfect. yeah, beautiful would be the best bet. Perfect. Thank yeah. you again thank for sharing you. your story and your journey. We appreciate that so much. And thank you for changing the stigma. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me both. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.